The thought for our message this morning and the title for our message this morning is Be Determined. Be Determined. And then I suddenly thought there was a very, very famous series that was written by a, a preacher, Warren Wearsby, and it was called the B Series. And what he'd do, he'd take certain books of the Bible, like Philippians, and he'd write a book called, I think it was Be Joyful. And I thought, oh, I bet he did a be determined. And I looked and he did, and he applied it to Nehemiah. But we're in First Corinthians, but never mind. So apologies to Warren Weary if, if I've stolen your title this morning, but uh, it wasn't intentional. Be determined. Now, in First Corinthians chapter 2, actually what I'd like to do, because in a sense it's a flowing thought that starts from First Corinthians chapter 1. So if we could, let's read from First Corinthians chapter 1 and follow this thought down through to the first five verses of chapter 2. We'll just pick it up in verse number 18 of chapter 1. So if you have your Bible open, follow along with me as we read together from the Word of God this morning. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. As the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And now we're running to chapter two, the first five verses for our text this morning. It switches now to the Apostle Paul. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we're pleased to end our reading there this morning, and may God bless his word to our hearts this morning. 
Really, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 was my verse throughout the whole of lockdown. Any of you who were in fairly regular communication with me would know that was that was I've sent that verse to people more times in the last 12 months probably than the last uh, 13 years I've been in the ministry for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. How important is that? We have to accept and we have to come to accept that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And it's the power of the cross and the power of the crucifixion and the power of the salvation and the power of the Spirit of God that we bring a message that is foolishness to a lost and dying world. Even this very week, you know, as the folks have been out there on the on the doorstep. In fact, I know where Lewin and Penny, when they were out there this week, met a young lady and seemed a pleasant enough young lady. But to her, it was anathema, absolute horror that we could use the word sin and salvation. Now, I don't know why that should be anathema to her. I assume that she doesn't agree with murderers, rapists, and burglars that break the law. So it's not the principle of wickedness that she's against. But you know what it's against? It's the principle that she may be classed as a sinner, that she may be a breaker of God's law. And that's the kind of attitude that we're encountering more and more and more today. That's why we're reading these prayer requests each week. Last week where it was determined, you know, there's no standard for designating a gender. We're reading today, you know, of lowering the age of it, which wickedness upon wickedness upon wickedness upon wickedness. And man uses man's wisdom to get this world to accept Satan's lie as truth. And you never, never would have thought it possible. Would you ever have thought it was possible that a seemingly so-called intelligent person could say there's no consensus by which we can determine gender at birth? Would you ever have thought that was possible? Would you ever have thought it was possible that, that people could say, well, you know, uh, it, it, everything is fluid. Gender is fluid. You know, you are what you choose to be. I choose to be a millionaire. Didn't work. Didn't work. But it's not the fact of the madness of people saying this nonsense. It's the fact that somehow, somehow the wisdom of this world, the lies, the corruption, the wickedness, the allure, the beguiling of Satan, that same beguiling, the beguiling is beguiling the majority of the world to accept nonsense. Now, the danger of it is we as Christians feel that we've somehow got to become uh, more philosophically orientated, more worldly wise to bring down the arguments of this world. But the word of God through the Apostle Paul reminds us that we need to be determined to make a determination. It means be decided not to know anything among save Christ and him crucified. So I want to, in this few moments we have together this morning, help us to be determined, to be resolute, to be set and settled with the fact that this world will think you are crazy, mad, foolish. We've gone beyond that. This world will now say you are bigoted and hateful. 
And it's moving to the point where this world is trying to implement a position where they say, you are now a criminal for believing in the, the fact that this world is full of sin and wickedness, that a savior died and was buried and rose again, and we need salvation because we're sinners. We're moving from that being foolishness to it being criminal. And this world is going to sleep with its wickedness, friends. So we need to be determined to hold on to the gospel. We will not persuade a world in our wisdom. We will not undo the wisdom of this world and this world system because it's run by the principalities and powers who are guided by the wicked one. But we need to be determined that to know Christ and him crucified is sufficient more than sufficient and it's in the power of god and the power of the holy spirit alone that we can deliver this message as christ continues to redeem and reconcile the lost and dying world be determined let's pray father we thank you as we come before your word this morning lord that we like paul could be classed as the off scouring of the world the scum of the world that's very much how us Bible-believing Christians are starting to be perceived. We've read even only again today and been reminded of wicked people who claim the name of Christ, the likes of Jane Ozan, are encouraging and lobbying governments to make laws to criminalise true Christian Bible belief. What a world. Thank God what a saviour we have. And Lord, in the days that you have given to us before we come to be with Christ or this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then our God help us to be determined, set and settled. That we will not find a ready audience. We will not be received because of the wisdom of truth. We will be rejected, ridiculed, scoffed, mocked, maligned, and even it appears soon to come criminalized. But our Heavenly Father, help us to be determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Help us this morning by your word and your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, think, think about this. When Paul uh, first goes to Corinth, we won't turn there this morning. We looked at it in the study uh, when we went through the book of Acts. Acts 18.1, Paul goes down to, to Corinth, doesn't he? And uh, where did he come from? He'd come from, he'd recently been in Athens, you know, uh, Wisdom Central at the time, where they always sought to, 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 to see or hear speak of some new thing. That's the world that we live in today. You know, wisdom, the Greek underlying word is Sophia, sophistry, sophistication. That's where those words come from. The Bible tells us that we will not be received as sophisticated people among polite society. You know, that's true if you've ever been to a dinner party, and I know that'll be a dim and distant memory, or you've spent time around people who are not saved. You know, they'll value the wisdom of this world. Someone will quote a line from one of Shakespeare's sonnets, and all the fawning sycophants will go, oh, that's so wonderful. They'll send out a line from Keats or Wordsworth, you know, I wandered lonely as a cloud, and they'll be enraptured and encapsulated. And you'll say, I know something, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the best news you could give at the dinner table of unsaved people. How do you think that'll be received? 
Shakespeare will be lifted up, Keats and Wordsworth, they'll all be lifted up. You will be anathematized in the corner of the table, isolated from the rest of polite social conversation. There'll be a, a strange and a weary silence, and you'll wonder why your dinner invitations start to dry up the longer you go on for Christ. You see, because when you first get saved, you're just excited, aren't you? You want to tell everyone about Christ. You want to tell everyone about salvation. You've got the answer. In fact, you've got all the excitement, but no trust. Because we, we haven't built our trust with the Lord yet, but we're excited. What a shame, isn't it? As the time goes on, we build the trust and lose the excitement because we get battered around a little bit because this world thinks we're, we're foolish and we don't like to be thought of in that way. But it should not come as a shock and a surprise to us because the Bible tells us so. This world system wants to fill us as Christians, as Christian young people, as young, uh, young children growing up who are not yet Christians but come from Christians' home, the homes, this world system wants to fill you with its knowledge, which is generally based upon nothing. It is that simple. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It, it just vanishes. It's nothing. But here's the problem. Sometimes... When we get saved and continue on in the Lord, no matter what age it is, sometimes we're just educated enough or sometimes we're just eloquent enough to become fearful about what people think about us. And it holds us back. It stops us. Yeah, we, we, we close our mouth when we should open it. And we're all subject to that to some, some great way uh, or another. We have just enough education, just enough eloquence, just enough perception and understanding to know that we've suddenly become the stink bomb in the room. I mean, when I was growing up at school, who remembers stink bombs? Who's old enough to remember those things? Itching powder, stink bomb. I mean, man, when those things went off in a classroom, everybody be headed for the door, the teacher be covering their mouth and, and all the rest of it. That's kind of how we are in today's society. When we mention anything to do with sin, salvation, and the Savior, it's like the stink bomb has gone off in the room and everybody's wretched, heaving, aggravated. I can't believe you would think, who do you think you are to be so judgmental? And we've all heard it all before. We're coming in love with the greatest message of love for the people who, who, who God's love has been demonstrated at the cross. And all they can think is that we are foolish hateful, bigoted people. And we can't change their perception of us. But what we need not to do is to retreat in fear because we have enough instinct to recognize their perception. It is foolishness to them that punish. But to us, it's the power of God. You know, I think um, it's, it's important that we understand the power of the Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God. In one sense, one of the greatest hindrances to some degree of uh, not wanting to appear foolish affects us, even as Christians within the church. One of the, one of the greatest hindrances that can be in the church today is for the men of the congregation to stop and think and say, well, I couldn't do, I couldn't do as good a job as the pastor. Now, thankfully, that's not a problem we suffer with here, all right? I've worked hard to eliminate that. You all know you could do much better than the pastor, all right? But that's how it should be. But do you understand, there are some pastors who are very eloquent, very educated, 
very smooth. And, and this isn't a criticism. I think that's wonderful. You know, they've just got voices that don't grate on your ear. They've just got a wisdom. They've got the scriptures. Then they've got all these things of interest to put in. But one of the danger is for the men in those congregations, they sit there and go, oh, I couldn't do anywhere near as good a job as our pastor. So they don't. Because they have that same perception that I might look foolish. In fact, the second side of that coin is pastors who don't think the men of their congregation could do as good a job as the pastor. They're both very, very, very poor. The key thing is let the Lord work in your life. Let the Lord guide and direct. Let the Spirit of God use you and bring the Word of God forth. And we're so very, very thankful. I'm thankful for the men who are always willing to get up and preach a message here. I'm thankful that we're, uh, you know, for the church that we have, that they're encouraging and they're supporting. You know, I'm thankful for those great opportunities because that is part of the Lord growing and using and preparing. So whether it's within the church sometimes, that perception of foolishness and fear can hold Christian men back from wanting to be preachers and pastors of the Word of God. Don't let it. But for us as Christians out there in the world, and probably just as much or more so, you know, from the more respectable echelons of society, you know, when you get saved and you're a university professor or, you know, you come from the, the more polite, intellectual, academic strata of society, and can you just imagine, you know, what do you think, Professor Ph.D.? You know what Ph.D. stands for, don't you? Phenomenal dummy. That's what that stands for. But do you know what you know what it could expect when they say that? I'm just well, well, they're not going to say, well, you know, I think we're all sinners, and I think that's the problem in the world today. But thank God we have a Savior. You know, very often they'll come off with some kind of a biblical principle, but it's wrapped up in so much cotton wool so as not to cause any offense that it actually has no impact. You know, when you get in the boxing ring, you know, I know they wear padded gloves, but any of you ever box, you know you've been hit. The problem is, as Christians, we're taking off the boxing gloves and we're just padding everything we say with cotton wool that people don't know they've been hit by the word of God. <laughs> and we need to be determined that that will not be the case. We need to go out in the power of God, prayed up with the word of God, and we don't need to know everything about everything that this world has put forth, believe you me, and some of the things that are coming forth are quite incredible. We could spend our lives lost trying to figure out what are all the answers to these wonderful arguments, but what's the universal truth at the center? It doesn't matter whether you're the king of a country, down to a, you know the servant of a country, the universal joiner for every man and woman is sin and wickedness. Because even if they won't recognize it in their own life, they can see it around us in society. Let's just take a look here at three, three areas that I think Paul uh, speaks to this morning in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, that may help us to get this reconciled, to be determined that we are not foolish, even if the world thinks so. We are not uh, 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 people who don't have the greatest truth in the world, even if the world thinks so. Firstly, it starts with the announcement. We see in the first two verses, and I, brethren, so the Apostle Paul switching, he's talked about the foolishness, the wisdom of this world, uh, and Peter's, uh, sorry, Paul has now put on himself, and I, brethren, he's speaking to saved people. Very affectionate opening. When I came to you, that's Acts 18. That's when Paul came to Corinth. Came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God. And then the Apostle Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul didn't say, I didn't know anything else. Paul was a very educated, intelligent man. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. Of course, he would have had a blinkered biblical view. He would have been a fanatic. Of course, he'd have spoken of one God in a world that loved polytheism. But Paul was an intelligent, educated man. He'd been, if you will, through university and graduated. And he said, for I determined. Paul had to make a decision based around what was going to be so important. As he went to a people, a Greek people, the wisdom of the Greeks, a people that loved philosophy and sophistry, falafels, love falafels, <laughs> philosophy and sophistry. They loved that sophistication. They loved, you know, have you ever done it in your life before you say it, when you spent hours talking with another bunch of people who knew nothing, but you thought you were coming up with some wonderful, wise philosophy? about where the world is. I mean, I waxed eloquent once, I remember it in Canada with all friends, how I thought we might be bacteria under a giant's fingernail and we wouldn't know it. You know, and all these things that the philosophers come up with over the years. You know what it is? Just nonsense. But that's the Gentile mindset. When Paul goes to Corinth at first, Acts 18 tells us that he's there for one and a half years, Acts 18 11 tells us. He's one, there for one and a half years teaching and preaching. So this is him looking back over that time and talking about, brethren, when I first came, this is what I determined. This was what was important. It wasn't that Paul, you know, I mean, well, the only thing I'll ever teach you is the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. Every time we meet the gospel, he taught the whole council of the word of God. And of course, to Paul were revealed many of the great mysteries of the New Testament by the Lord himself. But he determined in a world that was seeking after wisdom, some new thing, some great new truth every day, some great new thing in the news, that he said, this is the thing. This is the most important truth. This, by the spirit of God and the power of God, this determination not to know anything, say Jesus Christ and him crucified, that is what is the power of God for this society. You know, he came to Corinth. Remember, Corinth was renowned for its depravity and its debauchery. You know, you can look at all that stuff. We speak to before, spoken before the Isthmus, the sailors, the international community, prostitution, temple prostitution, drunkenness, wickedness. Sounds like Torquay pretty much to me. Or Union Street down in Plymouth. Doesn't sound too much different down there. Um, you know, he was, he, he'd been imprisoned in Philippi, run out of town in Thessalonica. He'd gone along to Athens where they'd got all those idols to the unknown gods. He'd gone to Mars Hill where the chief, you know, the Epicureans and the Stoics were there. And he stood before them and he preached the, the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the back of that, then he came down to Corinth. And he reminded the Corinthian believers that the power of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ does not depend upon human wisdom. It does not depend upon us being smarter than the world about the things of the world. And that is so, so important. It does not depend upon the philosophy of men for its success. The gospel is sufficient. In and of itself, a spirit-filled believer going forth in the power of God 
with the word of God, determining that in a society that is so beset by stupidity, nonsense, and nothingness, and from that vanity of nonsense and nothingness, they've built up a philosophy and a sophistication whereby the simplicity of the gospel seemed like a ridiculous truth. Paul reminds them that when I came to you before you were even saved, you Corinthians, I determined in the midst of the wickedness and the nonsense of your society not to engage with the... It, what, do you know what Paul is saying? I didn't become more Epicurean than the Epicureans. I didn't become more Stoic than the Stoics. I didn't undermine the philosophical argument with a better philosophical argument. I just hit you with the gospel. I determined that the word of God, and the power of God, and the gospel of God, that was the straight truth that I was going to use to cut through that nonsense. Knowing full well that it would be foolishness to them that perish. What a wonderful freeing truth, isn't it? Because sometimes you go out there in the world, whether you're on the doorsteps, you know, knocking on doors, talking to people in the workplace, colleges, on the streets, wherever we are, family and friends. It's too easy to think, I, I need to get so much better at apologetics. You know, I've got to understand more about Islam to undermine the Muslim religion. I've got to know more about Hinduism. I've got to know more about creationism. I've got to know more about economics. I've got to know more about the world and how it runs. I've got to know more about uh, what's going on in the world. I've got to know more about the Great Reset to undermine the Great Reset. I've got to know more and more. I've got to study more and more YouTube. Paul was basically saying to the Christian in his day, you haven't got to spend your time swimming in nonsense to get better at undermining nonsense. Go out with the gospel of God in the spirit of God because a lost person doesn't need to be re-educated. A lost person needs to be saved. And it is only the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And to salvation, the Jew first and also to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also the Greek, Romans 1.16. It is the power of God. The danger is, friends, for us as Christians, if we're not determined to hold to that truth and to know that truth, we can waste a lot of our Christian life trying to get to grips with subjects that it doesn't matter what the subject is, all the subjects are exactly the same nonsense that have no foundation. And you could waste half of your Christian life becoming an expert in one of those areas of nonsense. And Paul reminds us under the inspiration of God, you should just be determined to be set on the gospel, settled on the gospel. It's the gospel that saved you. I didn't come to you with any wise words, enticing words. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of men. I came to you with a message that was foolishness. And you know what? You got saved. Because you're in the church. And he's reminding them because probably some of them were thinking, well, okay, we're saved and we understand, you know, through the word of God and through the teaching of Paul, now we've got to go out to our Greek culture. We've got to go out to our unsaved friends and relatives and people around the towns. And we've got to go out to these people who are looking for some new thing, these people who love philosophy and, uh, uh, you know, wisdom. And uh, I need to think of a way to undermine the argument. Paul says, no, just do what I did. Have you, as you've learned, so do. 
Paul says, I didn't come to you with wise words. You see, no matter how much knowledge the world promotes against the truth of the gospel, or how much knowledge it stacks up against the word of God, we must be determined not to be beguiled by it, not to be swayed by it, not to be seduced by it. In whole or in part, we must be determined to understand the power that lies in the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Daniel in chapter 12, please, if you would. Now, I believe very much in my, in my heart, and we'll look at it when we get there, I believe very much we are indeed at the days of Daniel chapter 12. Look at that one. Daniel every week, and I can't even find it. Daniel chapter 12. Yeah, keep going past it. And verse number uh, 4. Daniel chapter 12. Now, remember, Daniel was a prophet. And the Lord revealed some things to Daniel about that which is to come that Daniel did not understand. We've looked at that in our studies through Daniel. And this verse is one of the key verses about that, but I believe this verse speaks to our age, speaks to our time right now. Daniel 12 and verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to, even to the time of the end. And there may be yet more to be revealed, but look at the next part after the colon. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, I, I get that we're in a pandemic. No, I get that the world has been convinced that it's in a pandemic. Let me rephrase my speech. Um, unfortunately, the real death statistics don't actually bear that out. But... That said, that's not the thing this morning. So I get that traveling is restricted, although apparently you can just come in from India and bring a new strain of a virus that's going to kill us all with no restrictions whatsoever. But we're restricted, right? I can't get on a flight and just go over to Ireland and preach for a wonderful church this morning. But apparently you can come in through Heathrow and bring a new killer strain. Now we've uh, now we've vaccinated the entire population, got a wonderful success. Apparently, if I believe the news, then you just fly in from India with this new killer strain and you don't even have to quarantine in the hotel. You just have to give your word. You won't go out and about anywhere. Hello. I'd love to preach a message on that this morning, but we won't. But generally, when we're not in the midst of a pandemic, many shall run to and fro. Daniel didn't understand that. Don't we just live in a world where we're crossing continents, crossing nations, whether it's for work, whether it's for pleasure, whether it's for holidays, whether it's to visit and keep in touch with others. People are running to and fro. What's the other side of this? And knowledge shall be increased. That's not knowledge of the word of God. This is people running to and fro around the world, exchanging ideas, developing a global mindset. Now, remember, God established borders, nations, so that what happily they might seek after God. So we see Satan at work in everything that has a globalist agenda, everything that has a globalist mindset, everything that leads to a one-world government, a one-world religion, one-world decision, one-world anything is all, for those of us who know the word of God, evidence of the end times and Antichrist kingdom coming in. So we can know without a shadow of a doubt that this knowledge 
Because, quite frankly, what are we accused of as Bible believing? No, what are we accused of as King James Bible believing Christians? Even Christians think we're ignorant because we hold to our version of the Word of God that we believe to be perfect. Even educated Christians think that we're foolish and ignorant because they don't believe that God has a Word on earth that is perfect at all. You say, what's that? That's the influence of this world, not what God said. But as we see, and as we partake in this running to and fro and traveling back and forth, this exchange of worldwide ideas and religions, this increase of knowledge by which we hold the Bible and the world's knowledge causes ignorance, we can't help but be sometimes a little bit affected, a little bit swayed, a little bit seduced, not in whole but in part. And that's why the Bible says be determined. We have to make a decision because it, all of this is true or it is not true. And remember, Satan is a great imitator and he is a great deceiver and he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Go to 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy speaks of this situation that we experience in the world today. Daniel speaks to it. He says, is he going to recognize it? The globalist agenda, everybody's going back and forth. There's a world knowledge that's going to make you feel even more ignorant and lowly and foolish. And the Apostle Paul speaks to it in the church epistle, 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit, notice the capital S, Holy Spirit of God, it's not the Spirit of man, it's the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, that's what Daniel was just talking about. That's what we're talking about. Go to Hebrews 1 if you want. We won't turn there this morning. We've got to Hebrews 1 in your own time. It tells us that we're in. We've been in the last day since Jesus Christ came. Now, the Spirit speaking expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now, you can't lose your salvation, but some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed, that means paying attention, listening to, and acting upon, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, the devil is our adversary. Devils are the unclean spirits that many would call demons. Look at verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, now look at this in verse 3, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. Well, there's your earth, lover. Don't get married. Don't have children. You're killing the planet. Don't eat meat. You know, cows are putting out so much methane, they're destroying the world. So what's that? It's a doctrine of devils. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats with God hath created uh, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. The Bible tells us in these end days we'll be seduced. Listen, as Christians, we're going to be seduced. Oh, I shouldn't drive my car so much. I shouldn't eat so much meat. You know, the cows in Australia are letting out too much wind and it's destroying the planet. You know, I've got to eat more mung beans and all the rest of it. Now, listen, you can make any decisions you like for health benefits, health reasons or whatever. But when this becomes a doctrine, and are we not seeing this forced agenda? Listen, half of this whole pandemic thing is about stopping us flying. 
you know, stopping us driving, you know, getting us used to having our freedoms taken away. But it's promoted as a doctrine of devils, Bible says. It's end times doctrine of devils. It is unclean. And Paul is telling us, be determined. Make the decision. Hold fast. Run the race. Fight the good fight of faith. Stay the course. Stick with the stuff. The globalist agenda is going to make you feel about this big. The world is going to call you foolish. We're already examining a position apparently where we've got to look at whether people who aren't vaccinated are allowed even in churches. That's the way the talk is going. I don't know what you're going to do when the pastor can't even come in. I don't know what we're going to do, right? We're going to do what we've always done. We'll carry on. No matter where, no matter when. We probably meet in a cave in Dartmoor. We don't know where it will be, but we carry on until Christ comes for us. That's the announcement of Paul. Because the danger is, you know, you've, I don't pick any any sides really in this uh, uh, in, in, in these uh, situations. It doesn't matter to me whether you're vaccinated or not. You make your own decisions based upon your circumstances. You know, those are things that will derail us. But Paul says, what should we know about? Says we should be determined, set, decided not to know anything. So Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the announcement. Secondly, we see the apology. And by that, I don't mean Paul saying he's sorry. I'm really sorry that that's why I came. The apology, as in apologetics, he puts forth the reasoning and the argument. He makes the apology, verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul is saying to them, firstly, he says, I was really in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Would anybody like to call the apostle Paul a coward? You don't have to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. You'll find out that he wasn't. You know, he went through perils of countrymen, was in shipwreck fast as often, hungry, was beaten, you know, 195 times over the back. With what Paul was no coward. What he was saying the matter that the Lord had sent him out with, the gospel as the apostle to the Gentiles, he had such a desire, such a responsibility, such a burden for the lost to be saved. He had a burden that the, 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 the Gentile world that God sent him to, because he had a burden for his uh, kinsmen according to the flesh, but now he uh, henceforth I go to the Gentiles. He'd been rejected three times by the Jew, and he went to the Gentiles solely. And his burden for a lost and dying world was that the gospel would be received, churches would be planted, the truth would be known. And the burden of that great responsibility of the truth in that, uh, under the power of God, he was in weakness. Under the power of God, he was in the fear of God and the fear for souls going to hell. And he was trembling because he was so burdened for the lost to be saved. You ever felt like that when you've gone out with the gospel? I mean, I'm not saying I do every time. I, sometimes, you know, I just pray and go out, right? You know, got to go out at six, got to go out at five, got to go out at two, got to get ready, pray, go out. I, I can't say that every time I go out, I'm going out in weakness and fear and trembling because of the importance of the message we've got. But I tell you that, that's because the world just takes over sometimes, doesn't it? We have the greatest, most powerful the most important news this world needs to hear. But sometimes even we just do it by rote. 
Paul says, I didn't come to you as an orator. I didn't come to you as a philosopher. Philosopher, philo, sophistry, lover of wisdom. Paul says, I didn't come a lover of worldly wisdom. Paul says, I came as a spirit-filled preacher. I came under the power of God to preach the message that God gave him to preach. He didn't come to preach on politics. He didn't come to preach on economics. He didn't come to preach on psychology. And he didn't come to preach on philosophy. And there's a danger today in this last 12 months. I have seen it. How many people are preaching on stuff that is of no importance when it comes to the gospel? They're preaching on politics. Get it out of the pulpit. They're preaching on philosophy. Get it out of the pulpit. They're preaching on psychology. Get it out of the pulpit, Pastor. Make those discussions in your own time if you want them. Preaching on the pandemic. We've touched on it this morning, but keep it out of the pulpit. Determined to know nothing. Determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I came to preach a crucified Savior and the crucified life. When did you die? That's the crucified life, isn't it? We've got to die to self. Jesus Christ said, if any man would follow him, he needed to pick up his cross, deny himself. And follow him. You know, there's no doubt about it. We love to talk about the things of the world. We do. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a way of engaging with people. But Paul was reminding them that it wasn't the things of the world, the wisdom of the world, the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God in a man preaching the gospel of God to people in the lost and dying world, and that is how they got saved. He didn't logic them into salvation. He didn't out-argue their argument. He didn't out-philosophize their philosophy. He cut straight through it all and hit them straight in the heart when he told them of a, a crucified Savior. Now, that entails so much more than just the statement. Paul didn't say, I'm preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. He told them who Christ was. He told them why they needed Christ. That goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It wasn't just a sales pitch. He explained who is Christ? Why did Christ come? Why did he need to come? Who are you? Why was he crucified? What did it do? And what does that mean? See, sometimes we underwrite and underappreciate the gospel. Well, we know the gospel, but you have to really stop and think what? Do those simple words entail an entirety? They run from creation to revelation. They run through the entirety of human history. Do you know what Paul was saying? He was saying there's a truth that a, a fine appearance and a fine voice can cover many weaknesses. You know, we can hear what somebody's saying because of who's saying it. They can look the part, they can look suave, they can look sophisticated, they can sound good, they can sound nice. That's what the world uses. You know, I, I got a friend, a friend of mine, and, and uh, he's spoken about the, the times where I've been on the street preaching, I've seen me on the street preaching. And he said, he said, Well, I know you and you're normal, I guess ish. But he said, 
what is it? A lot of time when I see people on the street preaching, he said, you know, they look like they've just come out on day release from the inception from a mental institution with like a trouser leg rolled up and weird fitting clothes and strange colours. He's like, they, they look crazy. Now, I'm not saying they are, but isn't that the world's measure? Well, that person looks a bit mad, therefore what they're saying must be a bit mad, so I won't hear what they're saying because of based on how they look. So they won't retrieve the truth because the person hasn't got a fine voice and a fine appearance. But they will believe a lie because someone has a fine voice and a fine appearance. Now, we don't want to play stumbling blocks in front of people. We ought to do all that we could to be the best for the Lord and, and not try and emulate John the Baptist and run around Exeter High Street with a camel hair sack eating locusts and wild honey. You know, they probably will come and take us away. And, you know, and you can say, well, you know, God's power is in the gospel. Yes, it is. But he also told us God looks on the inward and man looks on the outward. So we can remove the stumbling blocks, but the danger is have we removed them so far that uh, enlightened intellectual Christianity is spending all of its time to try and polish men so they become so polished there's no power of God in them anymore. They just become fine, eloquent speakers, but they're not going in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Who speaks of this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 18. Now, the context is of false prophets, but we haven't got time to read all that, but let's just read verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them, we live in error. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, that's large, wonderful words with no substance. Vanity is a mist, a vapor, nothing you can get hold of. It says they allure. Anybody ever been fishing, spinning? You cast out a lure. This bright thing that's supposed to attract a fish, they bite to it, and then you reel them all the way into shore. God said that's how these false prophets are. They will look alluring. They will speak great swelling Words, words that tickle itching ears, evil seducers, and they will allure. They will wind in some gullible souls who don't stand on the word of God, who are following a man, not following the Lord and his word. Don't turn there, but Jude says the same in 116. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their mouth speaketh. Great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. The world will give you advantage to lure you in, to allure you, to get you in. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with great swelling words. I didn't come with the finest clothes and look. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate Scholars seem to tell us that the Apostle Paul actually was a pretty rough-looking sort, little bald man with a hooked nose, man had a problem with his eyes, and he was a good writer, but he wasn't a good speaker. But he went in the power and spirit of God with the gospel of God, and he didn't try and undermine the wisdom of this world. He just cut straight through it with the gospel. 
He said, be determined. He gave an announcement. He gave an apology. And lastly and briefly this morning, he gave the closing affirmation. In verse number five, he gives the reason, he gives the conclusion in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, if I'd won you with wisdom, you would have felt you needed wisdom. If I'd won you with great swelling words and oratory, you would have felt you needed to develop great swelling words and oratory. There's many a good man of God that God would use, and many a good woman of God that God would use who feel intimidated because maybe they're not educated as much as they feel the need should be. Or maybe they don't think, you know, maybe they've just got a Birmingham accent or something, and they don't feel that they really are an orator. You know, it's the worst accent apart from scabs. <laughs> it is. But God will use, and what do I always say? It's availability. It's the best ability. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, I did this because you know what? Paul could have had falsified the philosophers. But he said, I did this because that's where the spirit and power of God, and I did it so that your faith can now stand, because you can go out to your smart aleck world, and you can go and do exactly the same as I did, that your faith uh, should not stand in the wisdom of men. He's saying, you can stand in the power of God. You can do what I have shown you to do, because that's what God gave to me, and be ye followers of me, even as I am of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 11, 1. His absolute desire was that their conversion would in no way have been seen or believed to be as a result of human power, human wisdom, human intuition, human works. It was all centered around the gospel of God. And friends, you know, we've got to be aware of this to be determined because we live in the weirdest, weirdest times. And if we don't stay on track, we'll get off track. I just, I just saw this the other day. An ethics row after human monkey embryo, human monkey embryo created in scientific breakthrough. US scientists produced chimera cells using human stem cells, but criticize the work poses ethical challenges. Scientists have grown human cells in monkey embryos with the aim to understand more. Researchers from the Salk Institute in California produced what is known as monkey-human chimeras with human stem cells, special cells that have the ability to develop into many different cell types inserted in macaque embryos in petri dishes in the lab. However, some ethicists some, in the UK have raised concerns saying this type of work poses significant ethical and legal challenges and opens Pandora's box to human, non-human chimeras. And there's much more you could read about that. But it says, according to scientists, the results published in the journal Cell showed that human stem cells survived and integrated with better relative efficiency than in previous experiments in pig tissue. They've already done this with a pig in 2017. The key ethical question... <laughs> is what is the moral status of these novel creatures before any experiments are performed on live-born chimeras? They're already assuming they're going to go that way. Or their organs are extracted. That's what it's all about, by the way, for the extraction of organs for human benefit. It is essential that their mental capacities and lives are properly assessed. You're talking about 
the line is becoming blurred between what is human and what is not. God breathed man became a living soul. Those are the kind of things we're facing. Those are the things that are alluded to in Daniel chapter 2 when he talks about the mingling of the iron and the clay and he calls them they. You know, we can get off on CRISPR technology and all of these things. You're saying, why are you saying that? I'm saying because we must determine not to know anything, said Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're going into days the likes of which Christians have never faced or seen. We may well be confronted with not even knowing what's human and non-human. Now, you may want us to, I need to look at CRISPR technology. I need to figure out DNA stem cell research. I need to look at this. I need to look at that. Gosh. Oh, friends, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the wisdom of men, we're going to face such scientific advances in these very last days that we won't know whether up or is down. We'll question probably our own sanity and our own logic. But we, Paul said, we must be determined. You need to know where the truth is what the truth is you need to know what is the primacy all the way to the end and that is the crucified savior and the crucified life the gospel of the lord jesus christ that is what has always saved that is the only thing that will always ever save and no matter how foolish we appear to this wise world that can't even determine whether it's a boy or a girl when it's born anymore then we need to cut straight through the nonsense with the gospel but it will take a determination friends it is going to get bad out there so will you be determined as paul said